Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. But we pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Mark, the last portion of chapter 12. I encourage you to look there, beginning in verse 38. We live in an age of superficiality, where talk shows are more show and less substance, with reality TV shows that are not real, where social media allows people to craft perfect images to hide their flawed selves. People yearn for authenticity, which they find is in short supply. People long to be loved and be accepted for who they are, and yet will spend an inordinate amount of time photoshopping their images of themselves. Many claim to hate superficiality and yet still buy it. They claim to want authenticity and yet reject it when they have it. There are those who claim to want to please God but find what God requires distasteful. There was nothing superficial about Jesus or his ministry. He was authentic to the core. And in our passage this morning, Jesus exposes the fake and the superficial, those who would rob God of his glory, and gives us a beautiful example of how we might find true riches through faith in him. Please follow as I read Mark chapter 12, verse 38. And in his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is God's word. Father, once again I would ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our passage this morning is a compare and contrast account. We find contrast stories common in the Bible. You recall Nathan the prophet who exposed King David's sin by telling him the story of the rich man and the poor man. Just as David was pronouncing judgment upon the heartless rich man who stole the one little ewe lamb of the poor man, he was indicting himself for stealing the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Here in Mark 12, Jesus exposes the superficial hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day. Those whom the masses assumed were 
righteous before God. And then Jesus draws our attention to an easily overlooked example of righteousness, something that is precious in the sight of God. In both cases, Jesus challenges the common misperceptions of his day as to what is pleasing to God. Like the rich man and the poor man in Nathan's parable to David, our passage is one of contrast that pierces our hearts, exposes our own insincerity and selfish greed. We have two teaching lessons, one that warns us against the robbers, the scribes, and the false pretenders. And when Jesus keenly observes the humble actions of a poor widow, he exposes a profound truth of kingdom values that are important to God. In these series of contrasts between the scribes and the rich and the widow, we find three lessons about giving. That in our giving and our serving, we ought to give before an audience of one. Give sacrificially and give in the likeness of the great giver. Jesus begins our passage with a warning. Beware. You see a sign that says, Beware of dog, you know to stay away lest you be bitten. Here he says, Beware of the scribes. And this warning would have come a surprise to those who first heard Jesus say these things because the scribes were considered by many to be the good guys. Those who upheld the law of God, who taught the people to fear, to obey the Lord. But Jesus shows that their way was superficial. Jesus exposes their false pretenses of these religious professionals who put on a show of religion to look good before others. And he also exposes and demonstrates that they are guilty of injustice. First, the scribes were pretentious. They liked to wear long flowing robes and to greet one another in the marketplaces. These were men who enjoyed attention and honor that their positions of authority granted them. Being the center of attention can be intoxicating for some. Sadly, religious service can lure the wrong kinds of people who love the stage and to gather followers. When I came to Westminster nearly 20 years ago, I remember Pastor Rogers explained to me that our pastors wear dark robes as part of a tradition that sought to downplay the man and uphold the preaching office of God's word. But these scribes in Jesus' day also loved the best seats in the synagogue, the places of honor at feast. On one occasion when Jesus was at a feast, he challenged his fellow diners with these words. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all those who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, in his final pair of critiques, Jesus offers the most damning words towards the scribes. And no more manner of pretension 
they were guilty of injustice. The scribes devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. In those days, teachers of the law were not allowed to be paid for their services and so depended upon the gifts of their patrons. And it was a system that was often severely abused. Wealthy widows especially were preyed upon by greedy and unscrupulous men. In addressing a similar problem in Matthew 15, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes for breaking the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother for the sake of their traditions. A man could pledge his financial support of the temple after his death, but rather than wait for his widow to pass, the Pharisees and scribes would take it, leaving her in poverty and indignity. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands you and I that when we pray, we not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen and to be heard by others. Now, Jesus does not condemn public prayers, but prayers that are given to impress. Pray for an audience of one, not to tickle the ears of others. And Jesus judges that the scribes will receive a greater condemnation, both for their pretentious outward show of religion and also their practices of injustice towards the vulnerable and the poor. In contrast to the behavior of the scribes, James writes in chapter 1, 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Holiness that is consistent in our private life, in our public life, before God is far more important than any outward show of religion. What matters is what God thinks, not what other people think. In contrast to these scribes, this poor widow was not noticed by anyone except Jesus and his disciples when he called their attention. She was not embarrassed to put but a few pennies in the offering plate. Because she did not care what other people thought, but what God thinks. The temptation for recognition to be noticed by others is strong. And like these scribes, you and I can be robbers of God's glory. Jesus would call each of us to die to our vanity and to find joy in pleasing him first and foremost. May we give, pray, and serve before an audience of one that he might receive the glory. Next, we move on to the contrast between the rich and the widow to learn how we might give sacrificially. The text says that Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and watched people as they put money into the offering box. Jesus was a keen observer of people. And that's a reminder that God watches our giving, our serving, and knows our motives. And it says here that the many rich people put in large sums of money. Well, the caretakers of the temple were happy. Must have been a successful building campaign. 
But along comes a poor widow who put in two copper coins, which were worth one sixty-fourth in value of a denarius. That was the day's wage for a common laborer. That would be something like less than $2 in our own currency by our modern standards. Seeing a teaching opportunity, Jesus calls the disciples to observe. Here he commends the widow who gave more proportionally than all of the others. Her gift was truly sacrificial, all that she had to live on. And the Bible consistently teaches sacrificial, proportional giving for God's kingdom work. This widow gave in faith, trusting in God to provide what she needed. Her willingness to give sacrificially despite her poverty was a gift of greater value to God than the large sums of the affluent. The widow in our passage demonstrates the faith of another widow dwelling in Zarephath, whom Elijah met when she was preparing her final meal during a time of severe drought and famine ravaging the land of Israel. Elijah asked this widow to bake him a cake first before feeding herself and her son, and she offered him her only food by faith, not to a man who was taken advantage of her, but a prophet of God who was demonstrating the very power of God. And God indeed showed that he was faithful, as the flower of this widow did not get used up, or her jug of oil go empty until he bought rain on the land of Israel. Notice that Jesus does not criticize the rich who gave to the work of the temple. They did good. But the widow did better. The rich gave out of their abundance. The widow gave out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on against the counsel, the wise counsel of others. The rich were not necessarily robbers. They gave. And hopefully they gave gladly for the glory of the Lord. And the Bible gives us a number of examples of the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich. The righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. Barzillai the Gileadite was a wealthy man who supported David and his men. And they fled Jerusalem under the threat of Absalom's coup. His sacrificial support helped preserve the kingdom, enabling David and his army to persevere, to ultimately win the war and return to Jerusalem to restore the rightful king to his throne. In the severest trial any man faced until Jesus endured the temptations in the wilderness, Job, a God-fearing wealthy man, was reduced to nothing under the merciless afflictions of the evil one, determined to prove that Job only served God because God had made him wealthy. Satan took away Job's cattle, sheep, camels, his servants, his children, his health and dignity, and friends. Job lost everything, and yet refused to curse God and die. He refused to concede that God was punishing him for his evil deeds against the accusations of his closest friends. 
Job had nothing but the Lord to cling to. And the hope to see God face to face, to stand before his tribunal and hear the Lord's reasons for these grave afflictions. And the Lord did appear to Job, not bringing answers, but bringing his presence and his perspective that Job might learn to endure through hard times and hope and a glorious redemption. When it comes to what you and I live on, what is our dependence? Is it God? Or is it worldly securities? What do you truly want more of, God or stuff? The Bible warns that whoever loves money never has money enough. And that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The biblical tithe is intended by God to help guard against our natural tendency to greed and materialism. The Bible teaches the tithe of giving 10% to his work in the church, rooted in the Old Testament practices of tithing and giving for the work of the tabernacle and the temple and extended forward through proportional giving in the New Testament. But here the widow gave a hundred percent. Now, I don't believe we are being commanded to give a hundred percent of our income to the Lord's work, though that may be a worthy goal towards the end of our, our lives. And Jesus does not require us to make a vow of poverty. We are called to be good stewards, to pay our obligations, to cover our bills. We are not to neglect them and become a burden to the church or to the government or our families. In our church, we teach financial peace, encouraging people to work, to more than cover their expenses and to save and prepare for retirement in those years when work may not be an option. I commend the words of John Wesley. Earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Learn the joy of sacrificial giving with a heart of gratitude. They'll help guard it against the greed of riches. Jesus does not aim to rob us of our peace or our financial security. He would rescue us from the corruption of riches and worldly securities. He extends to us his invitation to join the company of those who know the joy and the freedom of living in dependence upon God for our daily bread. For we know all too well that our idolatrous world offers all kinds of alternative things to live on other than God and his grace. Wealth, fame, pleasure, the approval of others. Identify these things in what we dream about, what we fantasize about, what gives you comfort, what calms your anxieties, what strikes you with the most fear if it's threatened to be taken from you. Anything that you are living on or living for that is not God is an idol. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And lastly, let us consider how we might give in the likeness of the great giver. Why does Jesus draw attention to this widow? Well, I believe he saw in her a reflection of himself. 
He extols this widow not because she gave a lot of money. What she contributed hardly made a difference compared to the large sums of the rich. But she gave her all. She emptied herself. She poured herself out to see the glory of the Lord magnified in the temple. She traded away her worldly security for the joy of the Lord's presence to further his kingdom and spread his name among the nations. This widow is like Christ, the one who emptied himself, who spent his all for our sake, the one who took up the form of a servant, who was poured out like a drink offering, who traded away his glorious robes of splendor to dwell among men in humility, to live in dependence upon his father. It was his food to do the will of his father and his great desire to magnify the glory of the one who made all things and redeems all things. His loss is our gain. And though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. I know many in our church know the joy of giving, both for the Lord's work in our church and other worthy ministries. Last week I was blessed as we met with Imre Soki, a Hungarian pastor who, along with 16 other Hungarian pastors across Romania and the Ukraine and Hungary, men who were trained up by Bob Rapp, one of our supported missionaries, These men received a generous Easter offering from our church a year ago, and he came to thank us. I was reminded while meeting with him that the 20 churches they serve in these three countries are smaller than just Westminster's attendance and membership alone. I was humbled, considering how much abundance we enjoy here, but also by the courage of Embre and his fellow brothers who serve in far more difficult circumstances than we experience here. I believe we have an obligation to help churches like these to grow, to flourish, to spread the name of Jesus Christ in regions where he is little known. It's a beautiful thing when a saint learns the joy of tithing and going above and beyond the tithe to increase their giving, the joy to see the kingdom of God and his work expand, for ministry to multiply, to make Jesus known among the lost and the unreached peoples of the world. And many of you here know the joy of serving, of giving your time and your energy to teach children, to teach those learning to speak English, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, to provide for our safety, to cover the details of our worship so they might run smoothly week after week so that people can meet with the Lord. And there are those in our midst who are at the introductory level of giving and serving. And it's okay to put on training wheels, to take baby steps, as it were, and to grow in the grace of giving. And we pray and ask God to show us how to increase to improve our sacrifice, to learn the joy of giving of ourselves, our means, our gifts, to further his kingdom and spread the fame of Jesus Christ 
throughout Lancaster, throughout the uttermost parts of the world. Yes, giving, learning to part with our wealth is an important part of our sanctification. When you give, do you think about how you might have spent that money on yourself? Are you tempted like I am to be jealous of those rich guys who put in large sums? We should be jealous of the widow who knows the joy of living by faith and humble dependence and trust upon the Lord. The scribes of our world may devour widows' houses, but they cannot rob the faithful of the joy and the rich inheritance that's secure for us in Jesus Christ. May we take up the challenge God gives us in Malachi. When he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is not the health and wealth gospel. But the joy of giving like the great giver. Who did not spare his only son but offered him up freely for us who gave us his most remarkable and indescribable gift to secure our redemption. Each summer, our church is privileged to send out short-term mission teams for a week or two of service. And this year is no different as we send out teams to Columbia, South America, Yakima, Washington, Easton, PA. My wife and I are also preparing for a trip to the Middle East and Africa to visit supported missionaries. And in each of these cases, we are sending people from places of abundance, materially and spiritually, to places of scarcity. And as we go, it would be wrong in condescending to go in the likeness of the scribes to show off how much we have or how much we know. Far better to go in the likeness of the poor widow to bring our meager contributions, to give our all in faith, trusting in the Lord to multiply, to cause increase, to bring about the flourishing of righteousness in our own hearts and those whom we are privileged to serve in his name. For when we go like the poor widow, people have the opportunity to see Jesus not us, and to glorify his name, not ours. To him be the praise and the glory and the honor forever and ever. Father, we do praise you and thank you for the precious gift of your son who secured our redemption, who raises us up into the heavenly places to enjoy all the rich inheritance that is ours through his cross and through his resurrection. We praise you, we bless you, and we pray that you would lead us in the week ahead, that we might glorify your name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.